The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Well, hello everyone, it's Dr. Doug Bursch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. I think we all want some sort of vision of our future, some sort of way to plan out the next few months, the next year, maybe a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. We look for God to show us what the next step is, but often it feels rather vague. I wanna talk about how things feeling vague confusing, perplexing, is actually a biblical reality. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey and realize that he really didn't know what he was doing until he took that next faith step on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Welcome back to the Fairly Spiritual Show. I am Dr. Doug Bursch. I pastor a church in the Seattle area. Actually, it's between Seattle and Tacoma in the city of Auburn. But I don't do this radio show and podcast for the purpose of growing the church I serve. I do it to be able to facilitate a better dialogue, a better discussion, a better witness in the church at large. Frankly, I just do it to try to be obedient to the Lord. If you want to find out more about what Fairly Spiritual is all about, then please go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. You'll find past podcasts, past radio shows. You'll find access to the book I've written, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church uh, from a Reluctant Pastor. I would encourage you, if you're a pastor, if you lead any group in your church and you want to give them a theology that's practical and easy to understand about why we gather as a church for you to pick up that book, The Community of God. And just if you're in a place where you've been hurt by other people, you've been hurt by Christians, you've been hurt by churches, my goal is not to talk you out of that. Some of you have been severely hurt by churches, and there are really good reasons why you don't ever want to be in any form of Christian community again. Even so, I believe that God makes us more human through community, that we discover who we are and we discover who God is through relationships. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in that place, if you read the book, it's for people like that. I don't like going to church often. I don't like being in community often, and I'm a pastor. I don't like being hurt by people. One of the common things of pastoring is you love people, and then eventually they don't like you and they'll say mean things about you and they'll tell you how you, you failed them and didn't do what they wanted you to do and they'll tell lies about you. They'll even put motives in you that weren't there. You can get hurt in community no matter how you do it, no matter how you live. But I've been called to facilitate Christian community and I know that God accepts me in my introverted self, in my confused self, in my I'm not enough for other self because no person is truly enough for other people. That's one of the things we learn in community. We learn how God can minister to us through people, and we also learn the limitations of other people. Uh, so with that, I'd, I'd love for you to pick up that book. Uh, you can buy it through Amazon, 
the community of God, or you can find a link through my website. And uh, I don't mind promoting that. The reality is I might sell one book a week if, if I'm lucky. I'm not doing it to make money. I'm doing this because I believe in it. I believe Christians grow in healthy community, not broken community, not hostile community, not community that's polarizing and politicizing everything, but we grow in healthy Christian community. And that can look very different. For you, it might just be a Bible study in your home that becomes your community. Uh, I'm not trying to argue for a specific way that looks like it as far as a church expression. I do think we need to gather with other people, people who are different from us, people with different experiences and diverse backgrounds. Uh, I, I tend to think a good rule is you need to be around enough people that there are some people you can build a friendship with and there's some people who will annoy you. A Christian community isn't just hanging out with the people you like. It's not just hanging out with the people you agree with. It's putting yourself in a place of relationship with God and others where you can minister to God and God can minister to you. So all that to be said, I really would encourage you uh, to buy the book. I, I've done many shows and I don't do this kind of push, but I just feel this right now and I, I'm not going to be apologetic on it. I, I really think it'll help you. And uh, we, we do them. Small groups have done this. Uh, Sunday schools have gone through this. Uh, there's many ways you can use the materials. And hopefully once, you know, this COVID-19 stuff, we get a vaccine and we can move forward, I'll be able to do more guest speaking and interacting with people locally. I love to teach on this, do Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, to teach and to serve others. I think uh, there's lots of reasons we get hurt in community. And so we need to have resources that recognize that, but also recognize the importance of growing through relationships that have been entrusted to our care. I want to talk about this. Uh, sometimes we have these plans, right? Even with COVID, where ah, what are we going to do next? People are trying to plan their churches, their lives. And how many of your plans have been repeatedly, uh, you've had to change them, right? Just the uncertainty. I think as Christians, sometimes we believe the spirit-led life is, well, if I you know, follow the Lord, I'm, I'm going to have a strong conviction of my next steps and it's going to make sense. And maybe not everything will make sense, but God will give me a spiritual path. And sometimes we feel bad when we're moving forward in the Lord when things feel very confusing and we feel like maybe we've done something wrong or we're just not listening to God enough or we're not spiritual enough. Well, I, I don't think that that is a correct uh, answer to our confusion, that we're not spiritual enough. I think confusion is a part of the spirit-led life. Now, God is not the God of confusion, so God can bring us a peace. But the confusion for us is we don't always know what we're doing and why we're doing it. We can have peace in the midst of that. But here's the reality. God is going to call you to do some things that don't make sense to you. God is going to call you to places where he doesn't reveal to you the full reason he's called you to that place. And God's going to have you travel many miles, maybe for one purpose that you think it's one purpose, but it's actually another purpose. And we see this in the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, I don't like labeling these first and second and third uh, journey because the first journey probably would be Barnabas's missionary journey that Paul went along with, but we tend to put Paul in this. But anyway, this is the second missionary journey that we have Paul going along that the scripture talks about. And right before this, and this is shared in the book of Acts, Acts 15, 16, 17, we're getting around that area, then moving forward. Uh, you just read in Acts and, and you'll, you'll get this. But I just want to summarize some of the things that happened uh, with this missionary journey and how this will help us with our own confusion in life and to be okay 
with confusion in life. Before his journey, Paul and Barnabas, they part ways. They have a disagreement about bringing John Mark back with them on the second journey. John Mark basically bailed on them at the beginning of their first missionary journey. Barnabas, who uh, is probably uh, related to John Mark in some ways, like, hey, let's give him a second chance. Let's do this. Paul's like, no, he abandoned us. And so they disagree and they part ways, but they still serve the same God and they're still a part of the same church, which gives us a wonderful example of how we could deal with conflict. You can passionately disagree with someone, but it doesn't mean you disown them. It doesn't mean you leave their church. It means you just allow each person to express the ministry that God has placed on their heart. So Paul and Barnabas part ways, and then Silas joins them. Silas had come from Jerusalem. Now he joins them on this journey. Uh, first, they go and visit Tarsus, which is Paul's birthplace, and that's probably a little bit of kind of getting ready for this journey ahead. Then they head back to some of the cities and places that they had seen, Paul had seen on his first missionary journey. They go to Derby, to Lystra, and uh, minister to the churches and the Christians that they had built relationship with uh, during the first journey. During that time, they meet Timothy in Derby, and Timothy is well respected and spoken of in Iconium and Derby in that area, and they take Timothy with them on the remainder of this journey. They have Timothy circumcised so that his presence among the Jews and the Gentiles will be accepted. He's accepted among the Gentiles, but they also want him to be accepted among the Jews. And so, uh, as he's uh, his issue was his mom is Jewish, his dad wasn't, so he's in that in-between place. And as far as you know, the rituals, he becomes a believer. And Paul's saying, you know, you don't need to be circumcised to be righteous. But if you're circumcised, it'll allow us to speak to these groups who will just reject you otherwise. And so they do a very practical thing and a painful thing, might I add, in order for Timothy to speak to every person. So they head out on their journey from there and they end up in Antioch, Pisidian. And that was the, you know, the place that they went on the first journey. From this point on, it's going to be new stuff. And we don't know if they even knew they were going to do new stuff. It said in the beginning that Paul just wanted to go back and to revisit the places he'd seen. But something happens in the Holy Spirit where they decide from Antioch Pisidian that they're to go west. And they're to go a long way west. Now this whole area where Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy are, are tra traversing here, this would be called Asia Minor. And that's important for you to understand. Like In your Bibles when they say Asia Minor, they're not talking about China. Uh, they're talking about this area. And Asia Minor is actually present-day Turkey. So these things are happening in what we would call present-day Turkey. Turkey, Asia Minor. So from uh, the Pisidian Antioch, they go west. And this is what's amazing to me and why it's important to us. And I want to give you some of this history here. They go west and eventually go 360 miles west to Troas, which is at the edge of the Aegean Sea. They go all the way to the west corner, the northwest corner of Turkey. Now, while they're traveling 360 miles, and just think about 360 miles, like from Seattle to Portland, like think of distances of if they're traveling and walking 20 to 30 miles a day, how many days it would just take to walk 360 miles. We're not talking about ministry, just walking. As they're walking that way, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus do some really confusing things, at least from our perspective, that the Holy Spirit basically tells them, do not enter Amicia and do not enter Asia. Now, Asia is a part of Asia Minor. And again, we're not talking about China. It would just be in the west, southwest corner of modern day Turkey. 
So they're traveling that direction. And up to this point, every city they travel by, they minister to. But now as they're traveling through this, and there's another city uh, that they're not allowed to enter into, but all in that region, basically the Holy Spirit is saying to them, don't do any ministry in these regions. They've walked, can you imagine the Lord has you walk 360 miles and then you end up around all these cities and it's no, don't minister to any of these people. Up to that point, the way they, they did their ministry was each city we ministered. The Holy Spirit tells them not to enter in, which makes you realize that they wanted to enter in. They thought they were going to enter in. But as they prayed, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't enter. So that alone is something surprising to me. That's something to take note of. So they end up in Troas, and I believe as they're in Troas, they don't know what to do. They went all this mileage, you know, 360 miles from Pisidian Antioch, and they're not supposed to minister in the area they're in. So what do we do in this far corner of Turkey? They pray and they get a vision. They get a vision uh, from a man uh, in Macedonia saying, come follow us. Now to go to Macedonia, that means they have to go west, cross the Aegean Sea, and they'll end up in what we now call a modern day Greece. Now I guarantee you, I could be wrong on this, but I, 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 I'm not going to bet on Christian radio with a Christian podcast, but I bet you Paul did not think his journey was going to end in Macedonia. I don't think he thought he was going to go to Greece. He was just going to go through the churches he'd visited before, and he was going to expand that a little bit to and keep it in Asia Minor. But instead, there's a vision given him, and so he crosses over and does ministry in Macedonia, which is now modern-day Greek, and the first his first you know, inroads into Europe. Now, I want you just to think about the second missionary journey because eventually he comes back the other way and they, you know, they make a full circle there after ministering in Macedonia. Um, we don't quite know how long this journey was. It was at least three years long, probably longer. But they traveled in their full missionary journey there 3,000 miles. They walked almost 3,000 miles. There was a little bit on the sea there, but for the most part, everything was walking. 3,000 miles. Now again, if you walk 20 miles or 30 miles a day, and that's a lot, carrying, and they had to carry uh, uh, luggage with them. I mean, not luggage, like, but they had to carry their supplies with them. We know Paul did tent making, so he probably carried some of that stuff with him. That they had to pack things around with them and not in our modern day backpacks but in awkward backpacks are packs and there's different uh, text about what they actually did and how they carried stuff sometimes on a pole but regardless it was not comfortable 3,000 miles that's three and a half to four months of just walking three and a half to four months of just walking in order to get to the places where they could minister I think about that alone, just as an aside. You know, we want spirituality and we, I want to be like the Apostle Paul and I want to have his wisdom and his insight. Have we ever done this kind of thing? Have we ever walked for four months in obedience to spread the gospel? It's certainly not, you know, works made him more righteous, but the things that Paul suffered produced the character of Christ in him. And by the way, he walked to places where they beat him up and stoned him and dragged him out of the city. And this is just one missionary journey. Now, now, why am I sharing all this? So there's some points I got from this, and I want to share this with you. 
Uh, sometimes, when, have you ever gone on a short-term mission trip? You tell everybody your itinerary, right? You say, on the first week, we're going to do this. The first day, we're going to do that. Second day, this. And we have it all planned out. And we have the itinerary planned out. We're going to go to these people. We're going to minister this much. Maybe we'll take a day off on Saturday to do some sightseeing. But we have it all planned out. In fact, we raise support based on the plan. What are you going to do? And if we just say, I don't know, we're just going to follow the Holy Spirit, people say, I'm not going to give you money for just following the Holy Spirit. What are you going to do? Are you going to dig a well? How many wells are you going to dig? Who are you going to reach? That people want to know our itinerary. Paul goes on this trip with a very vague thing, like, well, we're going to revisit the churches that we minister to first. And then after that, it is just this crazy spirit-led endeavor where they go west 360 miles, don't talk to anyone, led by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine sending that missionary letter? What are you doing? Well, the Lord had us travel 360 miles west, and when we got there, he said, don't enter into these cities we were around, so we didn't do that. We just waited around in Troas, and then we got a vision of someone from Macedonia, so we got in a boat and headed across the water. And if you were reading that, now you might be a super you know, spirit-led person who's like, ah, that's how the spirit moves, but many of us might be, what are these guys doing? They seem a little aimless. They need to get a plan out, write something down. But that's not how God leads them. And and here's just the points I get from this. The plan of God is not always linear, sequential, or logical. We might want to make it linear, sequential, and logical, but it ain't that often. Often it's incredibly confusing. It doesn't make sense. God leads us one way, And then suddenly another way. And we don't know why. He has us pass by some people to reach other people. He has us focus our energy on one thing instead of the other things we thought were important. I've found this so many times. Like for the week, I can be, these are the important things. And then God leads me by the Spirit to give my best energy to something that wasn't even on the map or the itinerary. God does not always lead us in linear, sequential ways. So I want to go on here, the second point. The plan of God is frequently not fully revealed to us or even somewhat revealed to us. I don't think Paul and Silas believed they were going to end in Macedonia. I think they probably wouldn't have even taken that trip if they had known that. And this is often the case that God is leading you and leading me on paths where we don't really know the end of that path or he's having us do stuff that we don't really know the full fruit of what is going to be accomplished through what we're doing. And I'd use the example of mountain climbing. Uh, And by the way, my wife climbed Mount Rainier. I have not, so I'm just talking through her. But I think faith is often like this, that God brings us to the base of this big mountain, but it's really uh, foggy and we can't see the top of the mountain. And God says, climb. And so we just start climbing the mountain. We take step after step after step, but we don't really know, you know, what how big the mountain is, how long we're going to be climbing. We just climb that mountain. By the way, that's not a good way to climb a regular mountain, like to climb right near. You don't just go, let's just climb and see what happens. But when it comes to faith, it's often like that. We're just climbing up that mountain. And then we get up like one third of the way or one half of the way and the, the clouds part. And suddenly we see the full mountain and we look down and we go, oh my word, look at how far I've traveled. This is, I I would never have guessed that I could travel this high up the mountain. And there's a certain amount of joy. There's even a certain amount of fear, like this is a long way up. But then we look up and instead of seeing the peak of the mountain, like that we're almost on the top, we see that we still have half a mountain to go or even more, you know, two thirds of a mountain to go. And we look at it and think this is impossible. 
But here we are stuck in the middle where we think, man, I've gone so far, I can't go back, but I don't know if I can go forward. That to me is often what faith is. If we knew the full mountain, we'd never start the climb. But there are times when we're climbing the mountain, we see for a second how difficult the task is, and we think, this is ridiculous, I can't do that. But by faith, we trust, well, God, you've led me this far, you'll keep leading me. I didn't expect to go to Macedonia, but I will. I didn't think this was going to be 3,000 miles. I wouldn't have started if it was 3,000 miles, but I've already gone 1,000 miles, so I can go 500 more. Or maybe I can go 10 more, and then 10 more, and then 10 more. Now, in the reality of climbing mountains today, for my wife, when she climbed uh, Mount Rainier, uh, she had people guiding her who knew how to do it. Her father and her brother understood how to climb the mountain. They had done it before, and so she was roped in with them. So they were protecting her and leading her and showing her the way. They knew the way. They knew how high the mountain was. They knew what resources she needed. They knew she could make the climb. And for us, we have God's assurance as well, that God has already planned out our path, that God goes before us, that God knows the way, that God knows the destination, that he knows the end in sight, that we are roped up to him, that he's not going to let us fall, that he's not going to let us despair. He's going to lead us forward if we trust him. And even though we don't know how much energy it's going to take to climb this mountain, and even if we don't truly know where the top is, God does. And he's leading us because he knows us, and he never leads us to something that he cannot fulfill his purposes in us. His purposes in us. He's Alpha and Omega. What he starts, he finishes, right? Alpha, the beginning of the alphabet. Omega, the end of the alphabet. Wherever you reach God in the alphabet, whether it's A, B, C, D, or E, if you start with him there, he's going to lead you to the end. Whatever you're doing by faith, no matter how confusing it is, or you're confused and saying, this is not what I thought it was. This is farther than I thought it was. This is taking more energy than I thought it was. I'm just confused about where I'm going. Trust the Lord. He is not confused with you. He is not perplexed. He is not worrying. He is not fearful. He has a destination for you. He has a secure future for you. You can trust in the Lord, even though you feel like you don't know where you're going. You can trust in the Lord, even though the path feels incredibly non-linear. It feels like you're going in a different direction than you thought you would go. You can trust the Lord as you follow the Spirit's leading. Can I get an amen? I hope I can. You could do that in your car right now, just an amen. God is leading you. And God's plans frequently are not fully revealed or even somewhat revealed to us as we take that next Spirit-led step, that daily bread manna step. Third point here. We got three points today. Pretty amazing. That's a miracle for someone who seldom gives points. Three, we often cannot assess the fruit of what we are doing. And I say this because when I look at the second missionary journey of Paul, Asia Minor, uh, that area that Paul spends a lot of his time in, Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey is not a hotbed of Christianity. So was Paul successful in his journey? Did he do enough, or Barnabas do enough, and Timothy do enough, that Christianity would take root in such a way that Asia Minor, or now, which is called Turkey, would just be the place where Christians thrive and Christianity thrives. Well, no. There was a season. People gave their life to Christ. But eventually, that became a very hostile place to Christianity. So was Paul's missionary journey, or journeys, were they a success? Well, yes, they were. One, because he was just obedient. And ultimately, uh, faith our faith life is just a success in the doing. Obedience is the only way we can assess anything. 
But look what came from these journeys. Paul began to write to these churches. He wrote scripture. Now, when he was writing, I don't think he thought it was scripture. He probably would have been too nervous. He probably would have overthought things. He just wrote to the churches that he had ministered to in Ephesus or Galatia. And as he wrote to those churches, Holy Scripture was formed. So what is the benefit of Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Silas doing these missionary journeys? We are the ones who benefit. We have Holy Scripture. You cannot judge the fruit of what you're doing. You do not know. You might look around you and say, people are rejecting this. This has no value. I'm barely making any impact. This doesn't really have much value. There is always an eternal purpose that is greater. There's always something going on that's bigger and deeper beyond what we can see or imagine or understand. We often cannot assess the fruit of the Spirit-led journey. Even so, keep walking led by the Spirit. Trust that God will produce and is producing fruit greater than you could ever imagine or assess in your own strength. Amen. Thank you for listening. Take that Spirit-led journey. Trust the Lord. It might not be linear. It might not be sequential. Trust the Lord. You might not end up going where you thought you were going to go. Trust the Lord. You might not be able to determine the fruit of what you're doing. Trust the Lord. Take that next Spirit-led step. Please go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. Pick up the book. See past podcasts fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. Now make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He is not through with you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. I will see you next week. The preceding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.